Welcome to our first podcast of 2018. Uh, in case you didn't realize, you are listening to the podcast of Tech.eu, which is Europe's premier uh, technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. Uh, my name is Robin Wap, I'm the founder and editor of Tech.eu, and I like to use this podcast to discuss uh, recent noteworthy news from European startups, investment firms, and governments alike. And I also regularly feature uh, interesting entrepreneurs and investors from across the region. Today, uh, we have two interviews that we're running. One is with Estonian entrepreneur Kaidi Rusalap. Uh, she's the founder and CEO of Thunderbeam. And we also have one with uh, Roberto Boranzinga, who is a longtime European VC, who's currently betting really big on data to drive discovery and deal flow for his new early stage fund, InReach Ventures. But first, let's have an overview of uh, some recent European tech news that I thought was remarkable enough to warrant a second or at least a closer look. First of all, Spotify has been in the news quite a bit in recent times uh, for very good reason. The biggest news is probably that its long-awaited IPO is likely to happen this year, perhaps even in the first quarter after the Swedish company filed to go public at the tail end of 2017. It will be very interesting to watch either way. Spotify is pursuing a direct listing instead of a traditional float, which is causing both the tech industry and Wall Street to pay very close attention. If successful, it could change how some tech companies go public in the future. So worth a watch. Uh, but before going public, Spotify must now contend with a massive new copyright lawsuit from Wixen Music Publishing, which administers song compositions by the likes of Tom Petty, Neil Young, Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth, uh, Stevie Nicks, and a few others. Uh, Wixen Music has filed a lawsuit in California federal court that alleges that Spotify is using tens of thousands of songs without a license and compensation. The plaintiff is seeking a damages award worth at least 1.6 billion US dollars plus injunctive relief. That kind of sucks for Spotify, but on the bright side, they've also just hit 70 million paying subscribers. So the lawsuits don't seem to be slowing them down in terms of growth. Uh, the company also just announced that it's expanding its services to include what they call visual podcasts about news, politics, and entertainment. These shows, available in place form, will feature multimedia components that includes text, video, and photos as part of a new format that Spotify is calling Spotlight. Perhaps also worth noting that Spotify is not the only European tech company that's heading for an IPO. Other candidates include fintech companies Klarna, Adyen, and Funding Circle, as well as Rocket Internet-backed online furniture retailer Home24, which might go public this summer. So it will be an interesting year on that front. And speaking of IPOs, we have recently released our exit report for 2017, uh, which basically analyzes all M&A transactions and flotations of European tech companies. Uh, you can buy the report for only £150 now. But just to give you some highlights, despite IPOs by Germany's HelloFresh and Delivery Hero, and the massive acquisition of Israel's mobile eye by Intel, 2017 was actually a very slow year when it comes to exits. In fact, our carefully collected and quality checked numbers paint a pretty rough picture. While 2016 was good for more than 700 deals totaling 117 billion euros, last year only saw 610 deals worth 61 billion euros in aggregate. So that's a near 50% drop in exit volume and it's a more than 7% decrease in number of deals. In fact, the number of exits for 
more venture capital back to European tech companies. Even more, it was down 27% compared to 2016, uh, which is on par with the decrease in volume for VC-backed exits. So not good news for investors, I should say. We should note that 2016 was actually an exceptionally strong year with large disclosed deals like ARM, Supercell, and Alcatel-Lucent. And in 2017, on the other hand, there was an unusual high amount of deals that were not disclosed in terms of size. So that makes it very difficult for anyone to say with absolute certainty that there's a significant problem here in the European tech scene, with exits at least, or that there's a worrying decline that means its startups' ecosystems are in bad shape. We will later discuss on this podcast also the funding report, which paints a completely different picture that shows that the momentum is still strong in these parts. Now, for the full exits reports... Uh, report that provides you with a lot more data and insights on European tech exits in 2017. My advice would be to go to tech.eu slash shop, uh, where you can purchase a copy of the report for only 150 pounds. If you're a paying subscriber of TechEU, uh, you can check your inbox for a coupon code that knocks 50% off that price. Now, in other news, Estonia has been up to some interesting ideas and initiatives again lately. Uh, you probably know about their e-residency program, which aims to turn the small Baltic state into a digital nation. Uh, but did you also know that this Estonia is also exploring the idea of introducing cryptocurrency of its own making. Uh, dubbed Estcoins, these virtual tokens could be used for community or identification purposes. Uh, definitely worth keeping an eye on that and whatever those crazy Estonians come up with next. And speaking of Estonians and blockchain, uh, let's listen to my recent interview with Kaidi Rusalep, uh, who has been working very hard along with her team to turn Thunderbeam into a virtual exchange for trading, well, startups and other private investments. So, hey, this is Robin from TechEU, and I'm here at the Digital Freedom Festival in Riga, Latvia. And I'm here with an Estonian entrepreneur. Kaidi, am I pronouncing it right? Yes. Kaidi? Kaidi from yes. Thunderbeam. Yes. Uh, what's Thunderbeam? Thunderbeam, uh, as we very simply describe it, it's a global startup stock exchange uh, that we built on the blockchain technology, which means that the companies can raise funds from investors all around the world. And when investors invest, we issue them uh, tradable uh, tokens. And that gives uh, liquidity for the investors. So this is what we do. And plus, we provide the data so that the investors understand what's happening in the startup landscape before they jump in. Right. You say it's powered by blockchain. Um, mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that? How does yeah, it work? Yeah, the, the blockchain is an interesting technology. It is an uh, open ledger technology that will record the assets. And because of its uh, philosophy and because of its math and the golden uh, security, it enables to record the assets in a way that once it's recorded, it says that those assets belong to you. And, and when you sell your assets or transfer your assets to me, it's going to be recorded in the blockchain. And um, it is a funny technology because it's going to start providing trust between those parties who don't, don't trust each other. And, and the trust mainly, when we think about it, is nowadays provided by the intermediates. Is it a uh, public notary or is it some kind of a, a state-run database or is it the bank or something? Now the technology is there to provide the trust. So when we built the uh, trading platform and the post-trading stuff on the blockchain, which helped us to get rid of all those intermediaries in the stock exchange business. Right. You were an executive at Nasdaq for more than a decade, so, so you have the experience, of course. And you also mentioned data. Um, mm -hmm. How do you use data? How do you collect it? Yeah. What, what do you use it for? Yeah, we, we call it the, the Fundabeam as a baby of uh, Bloomberg, uh, Angelist and the Nasdaq. Uh, and, and the data definitely in the startup landscape is 
crucial tool for the investors and not just the investor and also for the startup to really understand what is happening in the market. Who are the players? Who are the investors? Who are the competitors? What's the latest developments? Where the investor money is going? Is it the music or is it the big data or is it the AI? And and uh, the sentiments of, of the market. And, and in our case, there's uh, two or actually three use cases. First, when investors come and look for the investment opportunities, what we do, we provide one company who's raising funds, plus with the help of the data, a bigger picture and a broader understanding of the market. Then once investor is investing, then with the data and with the uh, machine collected information and the news, we help investors to keep track of the portfolio. And then the uh, third tool is mainly for the startups also to understand who are the competitors, because we calculate the competitors and uh, who are the investors who approach them or whom they should approach. Right. Makes sense. Um, can you give me some numbers? How many investments through the platform? Is it? Yeah, it's as we started a year ago and, and this is we're the first one who uh, test the global startup investment trading platform. Then we launched it in uh, last April but with first companies we run the six month periods with everything, syndicating, raising the funds, transferring the funds, trading, reporting, and then we're uh, scaling. So all together, we've been raising uh, more than 6 million for the startups as we uh, started with uh, small companies, but already investors from more than 100 countries invest and trade in the platform. Trading is uh, active and uh, now we're moving into more uh, sophisticated investors and the uh, a rounds investors and the institutional investors so that the platform really becomes like a community where you find investments for the early stage business ideas but also for the later stage it's great Great, and a nice geographic spread you have there, uh, 100 countries. Yeah, yeah, do, do you see a particularly big interest coming from Asia or Europe or US or just kind of spread out? Spread out, yeah. spread out. The US, we have no investors from US because of the trading regulations. So uh, we don't uh, right now provide service for the US uh, residents. But from the uh, Europe, we have a couple of hubs like Estonia because we launched in Estonia, the UK, Croatia surprisingly, <laughs> because partnering up with the Zagreb Stock Exchange. But in Asia, Japan is a very, very interesting market. A lot of investors and traders from uh, Japan. Yeah, interesting. Um, not specifically about the company, but about the Estonian startup ecosystem. What's your view on it? How is it evolving? Uh, what needs to change? I think the, um, the Skype and TransferWise and now the next big players uh, like Bike Drive, they built this kind of confidence into the entrepreneurship that I can do it. If the others can do it, I can do it as well. We can really build global companies from the local ecosystem. And, and the good thing about the Estonia is that the market is so small that we even don't think of setting up a local uh, business. N- not the language-wise, not the market, not customer-wise. But the problem in Estonia is that kind of you're stuck there in the north. And when you really want to meet people, and discuss with the other global founders, you have to fly out of the country. It's not like London that you have meetups this night and meetup next night and like three meetups the same night and you really meet people and you can discuss and and they are the world top. So the community and network is something what we miss. 
Yeah, I can see that. And yeah. do, do you, but yeah. do you have a viewpoint on Europe as a whole in terms of startup scene? Oh, yeah, the Europe is. Um, we have this graph based on our data, what we uh, produced the uh, startup funding in the US, uh, in Europe, and startup funding in Asia. The Europe's bubble is the only one that doesn't grow, that is constantly the same size, which means that we're very good at producing excellent businesses and excellent business ideas, but when the companies need to scale and need to go global, they go out of Europe, and that's the trouble of the Europe. And, and this is what we need to do, something to, to build this get the public money out of the businesses, but get the public money, helping private money to get into the businesses so that really this kind of a business and target trivial money is running the companies, not the administrative funds, right. and help companies to stay here. Great. Well, Kylie, it was very interesting to meet you, very interesting company you're building. Uh, we'll keep an eye out for Fundabream in the future, and have a good rest of the conference. Yeah, thank you. And now for some news from right before the Christmas holidays that you may have missed. Uh, Russian mobile operator Megafon has agreed to pay 740 million US dollars to buy a controlling stake in internet group Mail.ru, uh, I should say, from billionaire Alisher Uzmanov, who's actually an investor in both companies. Now, Mail.ru uh, combines a social network with online gaming services and a range of other digital services. And that's quite a big chunk of money for Mail.ru. And the same goes for the amount of cash that was raised by uh, German used car marketplace Auto One. That company has just secured a whopping 460 million euros in funding from Japanese conglomerate SoftBank, who else, at a 2.5 billion euro valuation. Spain-based ride-hailing app maker Cabify, uh, meanwhile, has raised another 160 million US dollars to compete more efficiently against Uber and other competitors like Taxify. Uh, don't confuse those two because they're similar in name. Uh, according to Spanish media, the company, meaning Cabify, is now valued at 1.4 billion US dollars after raising the new round, uh, which comes from Rakuten, they've already invested in the past, uh, but also the Venture City, Endeavor Catalyst, and G18 Investment, among some other uh, investors. Now, globally, Cabify has about 13 million users across Latin America, Spain, and Portugal primarily. And CEO Juan de Antonio has commented that the fresh capital will be used to improve operations in existing markets, so not for expansion per se. Also, an interesting funding round was Unbobble. Uh, they've raised 23 million US dollars from several investors, uh, including Scale Venture Partners, Microsoft Ventures, Salesforce Ventures, Samsung Next, uh, Notion Capital, Cajia Capital, and Funders Club. Unbobble was founded in Portugal. They're now based in San Francisco after graduating from Y Combinator. The company develops software using AI for analyzing and translating uh, different languages for websites, newsletters, apps, and marketing materials. And while it uses AI and machine learning to do the grunt work, Unbobble also still uses thousands of human editors to refine the translations. Uh, very interesting company and technology. No surprise to see so many big-name investors lining up to back their next uh, phase of the journey. Another interesting investment I'd like to briefly mention on this podcast is the 75 million US dollar round that was secured by Ledger. Uh, they're a French maker of Bitcoin storage hardware. Uh, the Series B round was led by Draper Esprit and also includes different Draper Venture Network funds uh, with participation from Firstmark Capital, Digital Currency Group, and a couple of others. Ledger is a very interesting 
interesting company. They basically develop hardware wallets for storing cryptocurrency private keys, um, which runs on its specifically designed operating system. So it's basically a combination between software and hardware uh, for storing cryptocurrency. Uh, the increasing attention on and the demand for cryptocurrency has highlighted the security challenges uh, of holding, holding this virtual currency. Uh, and that can, of course, attract hackers, as, we, as, we, as we've seen in recent news. And according to Ledger, it is now profitable with sales of more than 1 million wallets already and partnerships with the likes of Intel and Jamalto. Definitely one to watch in the coming years. Now, to stay on the topic of funding in Europe, aside from the exits report that we previously discussed, uh, we have also recently released our report on financing of European tech companies in 2017. A lot better news on that front. In fact, it was quite an extraordinary year. It was also a record year again. In summary, tech.eu tracked just south of uh, 3,400 deals across Europe. For us, that includes Russia, Turkey, and Israel uh, in 2017. All in all, European technology companies raised approximately 25 billion euros last year, uh, which is more than ever, with uh, fintech, health tech as the most popular verticals. Uh, alongside food, transportation, and security. European tech companies thus raised about 8.6 billion euros more in total annual funding last year compared to 2016, which was already a record year. So you can say that the momentum on that front is definitely not slowing down uh, in contrast to the exits. Uh, the most active investors in European technology firms were, again, BPI France, Germany's high-tech Kunderfonds, and Kima Ventures. A couple of other highlights worth noting, uh, the total number of deals actually went down slightly compared to 2016, but then the investment volume has gone up across the board, uh, particularly in the UK, actually, where we tracked a 121% jump to 7.4 billion euros in investment volume compared to the previous year and the two other major economies, Germany and France. That means fewer deals. With bigger round sizes, of course, and particularly the late-stage growth financing rounds are ballooning. In 2016, there were about 13 funding rounds higher than 100 million euros. In 2017, there were 27, which means a 108% increase year over year. And to throw in one remarkable statistic for last year, uh, just to end, no less than seven UK-based tech companies raised over 200 million euros in 2017. Again, for the full report, uh, providing you with a lot more data and insights on European tech funding in 2017, please go to tech.eu shop now to purchase a copy for only £150. Again, if you're a subscriber, check your inbox for a code that gives you a 50% discount. If you're not a subscriber yet, please check out our payment plans. And meanwhile, our first trip abroad this year was actually also to the UK, or more specifically London, where we met with a host of people, uh, including Roberto Bonanzinga from InReach Ventures. Uh, they're a young VC firm that heavily relies on data for identifying which European startups to invest in. Have a listen to learn how and why InReach has decided to basically bet the farm on bits and bytes in what many consider a very people-driven business. <laughs> Hey, this is Robin Waters from TechU, and I'm here in London. I'm sitting down with an old friend, uh, Roberto Bonanzinga from InReach Ventures, uh, but previously in the VC world at Baldwin Capital. Why am I so old? <laughs> old friends. That's, that's <laughs> not a bad thing. I'm old. Okay. It's, it's a good thing. <laughs> uh, so good to see you again, Roberto. Um, you're doing something really interesting at InReach Ventures, but maybe just talk us through a little bit of your background really quickly. Yeah, so basically, you know, before starting in Reach, I spent eight years at Balderton as a partner there, doing investments a little bit all over Europe, you know, from Vugra to Contentful to Vivino and many others. And before that, I spent most of my time as an operator, first in Europe before in the United States. 
Great. It's an interesting background. I think what you're doing now is even more interesting. There's a lot of new seed funds and VC firms popping up all over Europe. Yours is slightly different. Uh, can you explain why? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, most of the European model for, for venture capital, de facto, have been a sort of a replica of the models we have seen in the United States. But I actually do believe that Europe has got some very unique characteristics. And the obvious one is the geographic fragmentation. And therefore, you know, given the type of problem and the scale, I believe that the technology and data should be a significant, a better way to really think through the way our European technology should be unleashed from the investment community. So long story short, it means that a lot of what we do at Enrich is about building technology, building a data platform that allows us to discover investment opportunities all over Europe. That's really interesting. Can you elaborate on that? Because a lot of the VCs would say investment is a people business and data can help, but cannot really replace the discovery and the deal flow mechanism. You're saying that it can. No, I mean, I, I actually do think also that uh, at the end, a lot of it is about people. So I'm, I'm not fully in disagreement with that, but I think it's a bit sloppy in nature to believe because there is a human dimension into it. It doesn't mean that you cannot use a technology that to help assist you. So we don't believe that technology substitutes the investment decision-making process, but we believe that technology and data are instrumental to scale up your capability to identify investment opportunities, right. especially because, you know, this thing of Europe, right? One day you are in Lithuania, the day after you are in Barcelona, the day after you are in Helsinki. It's a very difficult problem to deal with if the only way you're going to deal with it is traveling around. But, you know, the truth is today when entrepreneurs start new ideas, they actually leave traces on the Internet. So why don't you put all these traces together and use that as a way to identify opportunities? Yeah. Um, last year, you were largely heads down working on the, this technology, this AI engine. Uh, but what type of data do you actually collect and what do you do with it? So we collect a little bit of, uh, I think we have something like 100, 150 different data points that we collect. Some have to do with the people dimension of the business, some have to do with the product aspects, some have to do with the metrics. And then what we do, we plug all of them together, we create what we call a live profile. We call this machine dig, because it helps us to dig, to dig opportunities. And then once we have this data, what we do is we apply algorithms as a way out to identify those opportunities. Some of these algorithms of, you know, heuristic nature, so if you wish rules based, but some of the most advanced one are machine learning. So it's basically an assisted machine learning approach. Cool. What is the next step now that you've come out and this technology is getting to a point where you can actually use it? You've made six, seven investments so yeah. far already. So we've done six, seven investments so far. We've also been lucky. One of those was already an exit by That's Shopify. Quick. Yeah, mm -hmm. very interesting story. These four guys, you know, in Lithuania, nobody even knew that they existed. We contacted them. We explained to them how we could help them. And, you know, 18 months later, 45 people and Shopify decided to acquire them. Great. And, um, That's a really good showcase of what the technology can do. Yeah. But what's the next level? What, what do you want to get to eventually? We want to do more investments. We want to do bigger investments and we want to scale this up. We believe, you know, a lot in European entrepreneurship as one of the key drivers of growth for this continent. And we want to try to unleash it. And we want to do that independently of where people are located and independently from their network. And independently if they go to events or not, right? They might be very heads down working like crazy on their ideas, we are super happy to discover them and proactively go after them.
Great. Do you plan to make the technology available to maybe other investment firms down the line, or is it used to proprietary internal use? Or? No, you know, it's not our plan to make of this a SaaS business. Our plan is, you know, use the technology, improve the technology. You know, we are really just scratching the surface vis-a-vis what our plans. But yes, it's going to be, you know, provided a tool for ourselves. Now, we might use this technology to leverage our network more and maybe in that area. But, you know, our main objective will be always how can we use it to really scale up our investment capabilities. Great. I think it's a very interesting approach to VC. I think it's a, a much needed change as well in the way venture capital operates, especially in Europe. So it'd be interesting to see how the next few investments go. Yeah, uh, stay let tuned. Us know. Stay yeah. tuned. Thank you, Roberto, for your time. Best of luck. And then last but not least, the EU has big plans to catch up when it comes to supercomputing. Supercomputers are a crucial research tool, of course, for medicine, aviation, robots, weapons, and whatnot. But the US, Japan, and China are right now the only three dominant players. And Europe really has had enough of that situation and has announced plans to spend up to 1 billion euros, 1.2 billion US dollars, if you will, to develop its own technology. Now, the aim is to develop its own exascale machines uh, that can do a billion calculations per second by 2022-23, roughly. It's a tough race, and today the EU is lagging behind, said EEC Commissioner Andrew Sansom. The UK has not formally joined the project so far, however, and according to a Bloomberg article about the subject, some British computer scientists actually worry that the UK will miss out on the potential benefits of the EU project due to, what else, Brexit. Also, some big recent news from the European Commission is that they have fined Qualcomm uh, 997 million euros, let's just call it 1 billion euros, uh, for, quote, abusing its market dominance in LTE basement chipsets, unquote. The EU alleges that Qualcomm has prevented its rivals from competing in the market by making significant payments to a key customer, namely Apple, on the condition that it would not buy from its rivals. Now, this is illegal under EU antitrust rules. The Commission alleges, and you guessed it, Qualcomm plans to appeal the fine. So we'll have to see how that plays out in the future. That's it for this edition of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back soon with a new episode. In the meantime, please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Tell all your friends and enemies about it and follow us on Twitter. We're at tech underscore EU or Facebook for regular updates on all things European tech. Thank you for listening. This is Robin Waters checking out. Ciao.